0: As we put our hands together this morning, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus, you can be seated for just a moment, Brother Floyd Odom does not need an introduction to any apostolic Pentecostal pulpit across America. Well known both far and wide. Well, old them Sister Morn, Brother Buddy, Sister George and I went up to Tennessee, left out early Wednesday morning. Thursday, we run into a gentleman and uh, his wife, a pastor in North Carolina. Got to talking to him a minute and uh, come to find out he's not too far from Bishop There. Got to talking to him and I asked him, I said, how's how's the bishop doing? And... uh, he said, oh, Wednesday night, he went and preached at a home mission church. I got here this morning, just got to praying and actually came in here. and Man, I just, it hit me. I realized with Brother Odom coming this morning. And God reminded me what brother Brother there was at Wednesday night. The quality of men. One God preachers, that's. I'm sure you don't mind. Well, the Floyd Odoms, our bishops, 75 years of age. Look it there, I'm sure he's 80 or above, somewhere. That's one reason I felt so strong of holding their classes. And I know we normally do it, but sometimes I don't. But, but my prayer and what got a hold of me this morning was maybe something would spark in their hearts. Don't miss the opportunity we got this morning and tonight. To have and I'm not trying to just lift the man up. I'm talking about where we're at, what we're fighting for, where we're standing. And what these men and the price they're paying, the traveling they're doing and things of that nature to try to keep us, try to keep us where we need to be. And I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost moved on me this morning in prayer up here. Because this God wants to save every soul. This God wants to touch every life. This is the lighthouse. This is the lighthouse. Jesus Christ is the lighthouse. And uh, I want Brother Bishop Odom to come. I want him to, I want him whatever he feels, there's no time. Amen. And I understand. And uh, he knows what he can do. And I want him to know that we appreciate him taking out the time. And having us, having us, you got to understand, we just—he could have filled any pulpit. He could have went to any big church, man. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost is on, the Holy Ghost is on target. I did not tell him what to sing, but these men's hearts and passion, desires about Jesus, and doing the work of God, God, that's got to get a hold of us. That's what's got to get a hold of us in the traditions and the doctrines. As we stand and honor of the bishop here this morning, I want him to come. I want him, whatever God's laid on his heart, whatever he feels and the Holy Ghost in this place this morning. What a great honor, church, young people. Please understand, I wanted to bring your attention. Because if, if I could take myself back to where you're at. And having somebody to say, hey, hey, the house of God, the place, the man of God, you, here's your opportunity. This morning and tonight is an opportunity to, to experience and to be exposed to some things. And to hear some things and, that can set a fire inside of you. And cause something to come alive inside of you that you're not going to find nowhere else. You're not going to find it in the world. You're not going to find it in places, and I'm not, I'm not playing down the schools and things of that nature. You're not going to find it in the, 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 the heroes of the world, but it's places like this. And uh, so if I could just somehow this morning as a pastor of this church to bring that to your attention, and let's take it to heart. Bendale Church, let's give Bishop Odom a good Bendale welcome here this morning. God bless you.
1: Thank you, and you may be seated. It's wise that I go quickly to work because it's legendary about my long sermons. I asked the pastor a few minutes ago, I said, do you have a clock on the pulpit? He says, no, sir. I looked at him, I said, do you have a calendar up there? So I don't want to waste my time. Now, my time don't start until I read my text. And then if you're going to time me, let's go from there. But I can just spare you the trouble. I'm going to preach an hour, okay, if the Lord will help me. It's good to be home. Now, this is not my actual home here in the Bendale community. But I'm from the lower edges of the Pascagoula River Swamp. And uh, you may want some of us to think that you're not swamp people, but you're swamp people. <laughs> and it's good to be back in the swamp. Mother and daddy raised my brother, my sister and I on the end of the swamp where the canals and the bayou was stink, paper mill smelled. In those days, it was standard oil, it was rotten. Um, people called it thicol, but we called it the pokey plant. I lived on the south side of the swamp, and it was uh, the worst side. It's good to be back. This is where I'm from. This is who I am. And I call this another homecoming in my ministry. People like you has helped me and has advanced my life, and it's hard to believe that it's been 66 years ago since my daddy took me to old Bishop Brother Buford Miller, and I sat on that old preacher's knee and he crushed me to his thick chest. Hallelujah. And I acknowledge my call to the ministry. And for me to be able to come back to Bendale is an honor, above my explanation. Thank you for being a part of my life. I love you, Pastor. I love you, Pastor's wife. I love the church. I got a call last night from a aspiring evangelist, and he was asking me where I was gonna be this weekend, and I told him. I didn't say Bendel. I said, I'm gonna be in the Pascagoula River Swamp. So help me, I told him that. And I told him about my history in this community. Hard to believe that it's been 54, almost 55 years ago that I first preached in this part of George and Jackson County. My, my, and to come back is indeed an honor. Praise the Lord. Enjoy the music. I guess um, word's getting out about me because uh, you're just one in another long line that says, I feel like singing an old song. (laughs) Brother Odom is here. Thank you for the old songs. I'm hearing songs today I don't even recognize. I'm hearing a rhythm and a beat that doesn't feel comfortable with me. I'm all for shouting and rejoicing, but we need to be able to shout and rejoice without the music. But some people let the music be their cue, and then that's the time to start their swaying and gyrating. That's not true worship. Thank you for the old songs. I love you very much. I pledge my effort to Jesus Christ. I don't always announce my titles for the night sermons, but I pre-planned today that I needed to announce my title for tonight just in case my title may cause some of you to maybe pick tonight to stay home. Today, I'm going to preach about Jesus Christ. Tonight, I'm going to preach about Jesus Christ. And if you're not here, I'm going to assume that you think you know everything that you need to know about him. But you'll never know everything about Jesus. I think I want you to stand just for a moment of honor to the scriptures. However, if this will not violate... If this will not violate the traditional dogma of a Pentecostal church, I'm not going to read a text from the Bible, I'm just going to refer to it. And please don't go there and try to read all 18 verses of this chapter while I'm preaching. Today my title will come from and my sermon will come from the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. The 13th chapter of Revelation is the home of 18 verses. Revelation chapter 13 is the home of 534 words. I have personally named it. Scholars didn't advise me to do this. I have named Revelation 13 as the darkest chapter in the Bible. I have named Revelation chapter 13 as the most horrifying chapter in the Bible. I have personally named Revelation chapter 13 as the most alarming chapter in the Bible because it's the grand explanation of your greatest enemy, who is Satan. In this chapter, you will learn about a seven-headed beast that comes up out of the sea. The seven-headed beast has ten horns and he has crowns on his horns. He comes up out of the sea. Now, that's not the Mediterranean Sea that was nearby when John was on Patmos. But the word sea is symbolic. He came up out of the masses of humanity. A sea of of people, and um, he had the appearance of a leopard. He had the paws of a bear. He had the voice of a lion. What a freak! Now that's symbolic. A leopard is not necessarily the fastest of all the African animals, but he's in the top two. It said uh, the cheetah. Is a little faster than the leopard. But what the leopard has is that his spots so camouflage him that you can't even see him in an open field. So he's coming as a camouflaged seven-headed beast with ten horns and ten crowns. One of his seven heads is wounded unto death, but the deadly wound is healed. Now, the second character in the drama of Revelation chapter 13 is the great dragon. You'll find his characteristics in the previous chapter, chapter 12. Very similar to the seven-headed beast that comes up out of the sea. He has seven heads, but not one of those heads are wounded to death. Ten horns and ten crowns. Now, in chapter 12, He's waiting for a woman that is clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and with a crown of 12 stars on her brow to give deliverance of a man-child. And that man-child will rule the world with a rod of iron. And the great red dragon in Revelation chapter 12 was waiting for a baby snack. He was going to devour this woman's baby. Now that woman is Israel. That baby is Jesus Christ. And from Bethlehem's birth, Satan has tried to devour and to consume everything about Jesus Christ and to make it nothing but dung. This woman was uh, carried away into the wilderness, a place prepared of her of God, where she was found safe for 42 months, for three and one half years. And the man-child was caught up to heaven to the throne of God. Now, that great red dragon in Revelation 13 is Satan himself. Now, the third character in the drama is a beast that comes up out of the earth that has two horns like a lamb, but he has the mouth or the voice of a dragon. Now, that first beast has the, the mouth or the voice of a lion. I have heard lions roar as I've listened to tapes. But I've never heard the voice of a dragon. In fact, I've never seen a dragon except an artist's conception of it. Now, this third beast that comes up out of the earth, that don't mean there's going to be a super seismic earthquake somewhere and crawling up out of an earthquake is a beast. No, no, coming up out of the earth means he's coming up out of the masses of people. Interesting about this second beast, though, he has two horns like a lamb, which means he's anti-Christ. He wants to look good. He wants to look Christ-like, but when he speaks, he speaks like a dragon. Bible says about this third character that um, he built an image to the first beast. That's why I'm calling chapter 13, the darkest chapter in the Bible. I know you're standing, but the, the Lord is with me to speak to this church. You'll be seated momentarily. And so this third beast builds an image to the first beast, and he calls all, great, small, rich, poor, free, and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or their forehead. And all must worship the image of the first beast. And those that don't worship that image can't buy, can't sell. They have no free commerce. In fact, they will be killed. Now this third beast that come up out of the earth, he performed miracles that even the very elect was almost fooled by him. Even calling fire down from heaven. I feel like I need to be saying this across the landscape of Pentecost, not just to Bendale. But you better quit chasing your miracle workers. <clears throat> you better quit Chasing your prosperity prophets. Bible speaks of John the Baptist that there's none greater than he, and he did no miracles. Folks, if a miracle is your predominant foundation of your salvation, your salvation is going to crack. I'm here today because of the word of God. So today I want to finish my introduction and tell you, though, That at word 237 of 534 words, in the darkest chapter of the Bible,
0: the most terrifying,
1: horrifying chapter of the Bible, seven-headed beast, great red dragon, beast out of the earth, image built to the first beast, mark of the beast, and you folks better listen to the old preacher. You're a lot closer to that than what you think you are. At the end of Word 237, though, in the darkest chapter, there's nine words, and my whole text will be built, and my sermon will be built from the nine words, and it says, A lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In the devil's greatest moment, there's still a cross. The beast that comes up out of the sea there's still a lamb. The great red dragon in the heart and the core of your prominent chapter, there's still a cross. And this is probably the most profound thing that I'm going to say in this whole sermon. But every one of us live in dark chapters. You've had one, haven't you? I have two. But in my darkest chapter, there was a cross. And there was a lamb. And in the darkest chapter of your life, are you listening to me, dragon? In the darkest chapter of your life, listen to me, beast out of the sea and beast out of the earth, there's still a cross. And I have come to make this announcement to America. And I know that this will fall on, what, 125 years today, sets of years. We're living in the darkest hour of my nation. We have totally, completely turned our back on God. We are approving things that are abominable in the scriptures. And we're shaming people if they don't agree with their perverted lifestyles. But America, I announce to you, in the midst of this dark hour, they're still a cross. God love you. Boy, you stood a long time today, didn't you? You'll enjoy your chair when you sit down a whole lot more. You may be seated. I do not want to use my allotted time and to give the devil any unnecessary and unwarranted public advertisements. I do not want to commercialize on him, but I would rather choose to spend my time to make reference to the man on the cross, Jesus Christ. I have not come today to be threatening. I certainly am not a pulpit bully. You're God's people, not my people. I'm obligated to speak kindly to you. But it would seem to me that if lukewarm Pentecostals would read the 13th chapter of Revelation, it would almost scare them into an altar. Seems to me that if backslidden Pentecostals would get into a quiet place and dissect it word for word for word, that they would be first in the prayer room. But unfortunately, I have to make a confession that I don't find Pentecostals too stirred up with what's going on in our world today. You know, COVID-19 is a long-forgotten situation. and Now we're fussing about a vaccination and, and we're being forced to accept perversion practically on every side and it's being... Forced on us that it's the new norm. And I've come to advise you that little by little, America continues to take giant steps further and further away from the grace of God. I'm not real sure what it's going to take for America. And frankly, I'm not real sure what it's going to take for some Pentecostal preachers, pastor, pastor, Your church needs to hear me say this. I would to God that I could frequent pulpits when I'm being introduced that a pastor breaks and weeps and he's shaken by the presence of God. I'm in so many churches, it's just another Sunday activity, it's just another sermon, but not anymore in my life, it's not just another sermon. Every church service has eternal value to it. Every sermon that I preach, and I'm well over 15,000 of those by now, this one is the most important that I've ever preached, because I'm reaching not only for a perverted world, but I'm also reaching for the seven churches of Asia. Uh, The Ephesian church was the backslidden church. The Smyrna church was the persecuted church. The Pergamos church was the licentious church. The Thyatiran church was the lax church. The Sardis church was the dead church. The Philadelphian church was the church of brotherly love. And the Laodicean church was the lukewarm church. I'm reaching for every spirit that's in those seven churches. The Lord is soon to come. Now John is in... The core of the book of Revelation is chapter 13. To be exact in percentages, chapter 11 will be the mid-chapter of the book. But John just simply begins to write it. And he said, Behold, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. Seven heads, ten horns, crowns upon his horns. And the name of blasphemy... Was written upon all seven heads. He blasphemed God, he blasphemed heaven, he blasphemed the tabernacle of God, and he blasphemed all that is God. And the Bible quickly moves, and I shall move quickly with it, that when the third beast comes up out of the earth, he builds an image to the first beast. And he causes all, rich and poor, free and bond, doesn't matter what color of skin that you have. It doesn't matter what your orthodoxy theology might be. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how poor you might be. He's going to shut down normal and average commerce. You can't buy, and you can't sell, and he's going to force a worship service. He's going to force a church service. He's going to force religion, and he's going to cause all men to worship the image of the beast. And this beast is full of blasphemy. You see, when Lucifer was cast out of heaven, and we find this recorded by the, po- the poetical prophet Isaiah in chapter 12 and chapter 14, that he drug out of heaven with him a third of the stars. And since then, my world and your world has been filled with every antichrist, And every anti-God, I'll advance it. And with every anti-name of Jesus, and every anti-receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and every anti-holiness living, and it has filled the earth today. And it's no wonder to me that the church is in the heat of its greatest battle. I personally allude to the theory, and believe it, that Satan already knows he has but a short time, and he's throwing everything in his hellish arsenal against God, against the church, against pastors, and against the ministry, obviously, you can tell by my lengthy and slow-crawling introduction, I have no intentions of leading you in a Sunday morning pep rally at the Bendel Church. So without me leading you in a pep rally, I've already read the full book, the front of the book, the middle of the book, and the back of the book. He's not going to succeed. The church will be triumphant. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Now, there's 284 more words left in chapter 13 after I got my text. And if you want to judge my homiletics, that's fair game. I've been judged the last 55 years when it comes to preaching, and I fear not your judgment. But what I want to emphasize and redundantly say again, that in the darkest chapter of the Bible, there's still a cross. In the most terrifying chapter of the Bible, there's still a cross. John described the first beast fearfully. John describes the great red dragon in chapter 12 horribly. John describes the beast that comes up out of the earth frightfully. But I think that it was not just an author's accident that those nine words were slotted into verse 18. In the middle of your greatest moment, beast, that comes up out of the earth in the midst of your greatest moment you fire belching red dragon in the midst of your most miraculous moment beast that comes up out of the earth there's still a cross and you're not going to defeat the cross I hope that I can say this just to bless me and I, if it blesses you then that's yep. But I want you to know, oh, that's an old Cajun word. Uh, Go figure it out. I want you to know that in my darkest hour, Jesus was there. In my saddest moment, Jesus was there. In my fiercest battle, Jesus was there. When it looked like that I was going to die and not live. Jesus was there some 30 years ago when my grandbaby was born, and she was almost three months premature. The pediatrician threw his arm around my shoulder and said, Pastor, there's no way she's going to live. We'll celebrate her 30th birthday on June the 14th. Jesus was there. I'll make it a little bit more personal. I wish I could tell your story. But when I lost Amanda some 29 years ago, Jesus was there. And when my daughter Lorinda took the kidney transplant almost seven years ago, Jesus was there. Now this is something, and I'm an old, old hen. I'm an old battle-scarred warrior when it comes to preaching. Ain't too much you can tell me about it, but I can look at this audience and I hope you notice I'd look at you eyeball to eyeball. I can tell in the in the face of some of you that you've been in the heat of the greatest spiritual battle of your life. Fine, there's still a cross when the devil's trying to convince you that there's no reason to continue this apostolic lifestyle, I've come to tell you, there's still a cross. And I've come to advise you that every time the devil speaks to you, he's lying to you. Because the truth is not in him. I've come to tell you the truth, that greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. Quit living in your Pentecostal inferiority complex. You want to stand to your feet and say, I'm a blood-bought child of God. I've been called out of darkness into this marvelous light. My name is in the book of life. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on now. There's power in you, Even right now is us. Let's clap our hands. (laughs) You see, in the book of Revelation, and I'm going to get off of him in just a minute, but in the book of Revelation, Satan is the white horse in the seven seal book. Satan is the red horse. In the seven-seal book. Satan is the black horse in the seven-seal book. Satan is the pale horse in the seven-seal book. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is the seven-headed beast that comes up out of the sea. Satan is the is the false prophet with two horns like a lamb that comes up out of the earth. Satan is the false prophet. Satan is a Baran. And Satan is a Polyon. Satan is anti Christ. Satan is anti saint. Satan is anti heaven. Satan is anti Holy Ghost. I'm going to say this for my benefit Satan is anti speaking with other tongues. Satan is anti rejoicing in the Holy Ghost. I don't know how we learned all these charismatic terms. We don't call it speaking in tongues anymore. We call it using glossolalia. The night that I got the Holy Ghost, I didn't know Greek. I just spoke in tongues as the Spirit of God gave me the utterance. The more I'm traveling across America, the more I'm hearing Jesus referred to as God, and he is God. As Lord, and he is Lord. And as Savior, he is Savior. But Satan does not fear his titles. It's time to go back and use his name. You said it right. For neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name. So in the darkest chapter of the Bible, Satan throws his best against God. Satan throws a seven-headed, ten-horned, and ten-crowned beast. Satan throws his best. Satan throws his best when he throws the great red dragon. Satan throws his best when he throws the beast that comes up out of the earth. Satan throws his best when there's an image built to the first beast and the mark of the beast is compulsory and it is required. How can you fight such a formidable foe as a seven-headed beast? How can you fight against such a formidable foe as a fire belching dragon? How can you fight such a formidable foe as a beast that comes up out of the earth? How can you fight such a formidable foe as an image built to the beast and commerce is cut off? So heaven decides, I'll throw my best back at you. I'm not going to throw Moses at you. I'm not going to throw Elijah at you. I'm not going to throw one of the major or minor prophets at you, but I'm going to throw the blood of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world come on boys I got him on the run right now because he can't stand the blood come on girls I got him on the run right now when you talk about the blood of Jesus there's power in the blood of the lamb now clap your hands to Jesus because that's all the time I'm giving the devil Hello, Jesus. I'll give the rest of my time to you. You're being seated. In the book of Genesis, God took out of the body a motherless man, Adam, a woman that had no earthly mother, whose name was Eve. In redemption, God took out of the body a virgin woman, a man that did not have an earthly father. Jesus Christ was conceived contrary to the laws of nature. When Jesus Christ was conceived, he suspended the rules of human biological reproduction. You see, when the, when the Holy Ghost overshadowed the virgin Mother Mary, the baby was conceived in a womb. But 33 and a half years later, when this woman that was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost and she conceived him in a womb, she was in the original and charter members of the 120 of the New Testament church. And when Mary, 33 and a half years later, after conceiving him in a womb, she received him in her heart. I want you to know that Jesus is Mary's earthly son, but Jesus is Mary's earthly father. Jesus is older than his own mother. And if you don't believe that, you're not going to believe this. And he's the very same age as his father. Not because they're co-equal. Not because they're co-eternal. But he's the same age of his father because he is the father. Those that deny the oneness of the Godhead, they will agree that Jesus Christ is the water of life and the bread of life, and their theology is right. They will agree that he's the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon, and they're right because he is. They will agree that he's the lamb of God, but he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and their theology is right because it is. Is it 2 o'clock yet? Well, they're looking at me like it is. Quit shaking your watch. It's running. They're right when they call in the Lamb of God and the Lion of the tribe of Judah. They're right when they call in the bright and the morning star and the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. They're right in their theology when they call him the prince of peace and the king of kings. They're right when they call him both Lord and Christ are divine and humanity, but they cannot bring themselves to say that he's both the father and he's the son. I'm going to give you a revelatory statement right here. If he's the king, the king is always the father. If he's the prince, the prince is always the son of the king. And he is the king of kings and he is the prince of peace. He's the father king and he's the son prince. I'm glad to tell you there's no co-equality and co-eternalship. For Jesus said that all power is given unto me both in heaven and in earth. I want to all of you Pentecostals to hear me. You're not in a frail church. You're not in a weak church. You're not in a fainting and a stumbling church. But this church is victorious through Christ the Lord. He was found in the temple. And how they concluded that he was 12 years old, I have no idea. I doubt that he flashed his birth certificate because how can you give a birth certificate to someone that's older than the ages but someone concluded that when they found him in the temple that he was 12 years old and being 12 years old he startled the lawyers of theology And being 12 years old, he baffled the religious lawyers. And being 12 years old, he astonished those that saw him. And being 12 years old, he amazed those that heard him. And while the Bible never says it in my version of the King Odom Bible, thank you very much, Praise the Lord, somebody. I felt like I fell off the high dive and did a belly buster. But in the olden version of the Bible, somebody had to try to ask him, Son, how old are you? Here he was, astonishing and amazing. Here he was, baffling lawyers. Here he was, confusing theologians. How old are you? And Jesus could have said it like this Well, On my mother's side, 12 years ago, I was born six miles down the road in the little shepherd's village of Bethlehem. But if you want to know how old I am on my father's side, well, let's talk about it. I'm known as the root of David, so that'll make me at least a 1,000 years old. I'm known that before Abraham was, I am, that'll make me at least 1,700 years old years old. I am known as Daniel's ancient of days. That means there's no time limit upon me. In fact, if you want to know the truth, I'm the Elohim of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning Elohim said, let there be light. This is an all singular God, an all sufficient God, an all self surviving God. Let me hurry up and tell Bendel today Oh, I want to see him and look upon his face. Can I give you some old preacher advice real quick? The more I feel some of you rushing me, the slower I'm going to get. I feel the Holy Ghost in the house. Now it's at this time the Lord would have me to say, tell the church to prepare themselves, for if they will magnify me as you preach my name, I will do wonders in their midst. I'm announcing to Bendel and the Holy Ghost that if you'll come with me in one mind, in one accord, there's not enough doubt in hell. There's not enough fear in hell that can block the move of God. I speak as an old prophet right now. You're living far beneath your privileges in the Holy Ghost. Step out on the promise of God. You've been washed in the blood. You've been forgiven by the name. Your name is in the book of life. I'm just talking about Jesus a few more minutes. Be seated. You can't teach Jesus anything because he already knows everything. Jesus can't leave here and go there because it's already there and when he gets there he's still here God Almighty, God Almighty, I felt a super shock of the Holy Ghost. For where two or three are gathered together in my name in Bendale, Mississippi, mark it down, I'm there. Jesus Christ cannot change for the better because he's already the embodiment of excellency. He knows everything about everybody, all 7.9 billion of us that's in the earth today. He knows you're rising up. Stand back up, brother, with the plaid shirt on. Man, you're staring me down there for just a moment. I got a feeling you feel that Holy Ghost back there. Look at that big smile. You know, talking about an old song. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. You're not going to find peace in drugs. You're not going to find contentment in promiscuity. You're not going to find happiness in the depth of sin. But get me to a church. Get me to the house of God. Clap your hand, John brother. Clap the devil out of this house. Clap unbelief out of this house. He knows. He knows the number of the stars, all one hundred billion of them. And if you're not impressed by that, He knows them by name. He knows the number of the hairs of your head. He knows, and He attends the funeral of every sparrow that falleth in death. He knows when you get up. He knows when you lie down. He knows what you read. He knows what you listen to. He knows what you look at. He knows what you think. He knows what you say. He knows who you are. And he knows where you are. He knows who you're with. He knows where you have been. And he knows where you're going. You know, I feel like preaching to the old preacher real quick. Let me get away with it just for 15 seconds. Hey, Lord, it's that old white-headed preacher one more time. I need a prayer answered one more time. And all he needs me to say is that blessed name. He responds to his name. He responds to worship. He responds to pray. I'll be finished in a few minutes. Jesus Christ, his hand is firm and his hand is friendly. His heart is kind and his heart is tender. His help is always timely and hope in him springs eternal. His name has no competition. His fame has no finality, his claim has no confine, his love has no limit, his honor has no horizon, his beauty has no boundary, his truth has no termination, his mercy has no measurement, he is righteous in his rule. And he is judicious in his judgment. He's famous in his fullness. Keep smiling, sister. I need that to get contagious in this church. He is famous in his fullness and is glorious in his grace. He's cautious in his care. He's precious in his peace. He's lustrous. In his love, he's bountiful in his blessings, he's doubtless in his decisions, he's merciful in his judgment, and whatever he's ever promised you. And even though it hasn't come to pass yet, don't give up. If he said it, it's going to come to pass. This is so good. I wrote it down, and I can't make come on, old brother, clap your hands. His promise is good. If he promised it 50 years ago, it is still going to come to pass. If he promised it 25 years ago, it is still going to come to pass. I'm going to speak to the pastor. The last time I preached at this church, the Lord promised me I'm going to send an old-fashioned revival in the Bendale community. If it hasn't happened yet, you better start adding on here because a revival. Aval is coming to Bendale So I started to preach until you just absolutely rudely interrupted my preaching. This is too good for me to take a chance by memory. So I put it down like this. He promised in Hebrews 13 and 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Eight short words. You read it forward. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Eight short words, but you flip it and read it backwards. Glad to be back in the swamp. You want to read it backwards? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the forward rendition, but read it backwards. It's all the same. Thee forsake or thee leave. Never will I. If he's promised it to you, his promise is righteous. I will never leave thee. You felt that one, huh? I've been waiting on you. I've been waiting on you. He promised it forward. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, but read it backwards. thee forsake or thee leave, never will I. It all means the same. What I'm trying to tell you, he's my leader in the pathways of righteousness. What I'm trying to tell you, he's got my back because surely goodness and mercy, I'm going to say that directly to the headquarters of hell. you better Gotta watch out for me because Jesus has my face and Jesus has my back. You don't have to look back because goodness and mercy is following you. You Stand if you want to but I'm not going to quit yet. You know? I think the last time I preached here, I kind of like cars are beating on the chest. I said, I feel like I might better come here and preach a revival. Remember that? Well, I feel that same chest-beating spirit, but I'm not coming. I can't. I'm too old to do that. But I'm young enough to tell you that once I was old... Or once I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen a church forsaken. I've never seen a praying man forsaken. I've never seen a praying woman forsaken. He alone procures a sinner's redemption, He alone purifies a sinner's wicked life. He alone provides access to the throne of grace he alone protects us from the wiles of the enemy in his voice i find my steadfastness in his hand i find my stability in his command i find my strength in his steps i find my safety In his arm, I find my shelter. In his spirit, I find full salvation. In his name, I find forgiveness. Glory be to God. This should have been number one, and I left it for number nine. Can you imagine that? But here comes number nine. And in his blood, I find cleanness from all the unrighteousness and the filth of sin. Again, I'm going to talk to the spirit world. I speak against the seven-headed beast that comes out of the sea. I speak against the great red dragon. I speak against the beast that comes up out of the earth. I speak against the image built to the beast. I speak against the mark of the beast. Come on, folks. We're not going to bite our fingernails to the knuckle worrying about the mark of the beast. We're going to shout all the way home. In, in, in all sincerity, I do know that I've already preached nine unto an hour and I'll do my best to be finished in a few short minutes. In the official biochemistry, it's known as deoxyribonucleic acid, more commonly known as your DNA. It is said in biology, human biology, that a little baby gets 50% of the DNA from the mama and 50% of the DNA from the father. Uh, Jesus suspended the rules of human reproduction. He's not 50% human and 50% deity. I'm glad to tell you that Jesus Christ is full man. Well, if that's the strongest the amens I'm going to get on that, I'm concerned about what I'm about to say. But I want to say it anyway without an amen if I must. He's not 50% God. He is totally God. He is completely God. God Almighty. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Oh Jesus. I know at my age I'm supposed to have a little more dignity than what I'm having right now, but I can't stand. It's like fire! Shut up in my bones. He's not 50% God. He's completely God. So I'm going to walk you through a few forensic files of the Scripture. A Few DNA tests. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to stop with a chuckle, but I wanted to get out of a better life. <laughs> you know what I feel at Bendel Church? I feel like that Jesus has put his fingerprint on this church. You know what I feel about Bendel Church? I, 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 I believe he's put his hand on, on this church. Uh, you know what I think about Bendel Church? Um, we, 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 we found a footprint, and we got some forensic evidence. Uh, I believe the footprints of Jesus is all over this church. And the reason you shout the way you shout... the reason you rejoice the reason go ahead little sister that's in order you call that the DNA of the Holy Ghost so as you can tell I've gone from page 14 to 40 So Jesus was entering into Jerusalem and there was a blind man. And so the great profundity of discussion. Who sinned? This man, or did he himself sin and that he was born blind? His parents, who? Jesus said, neither. One translation says that he was born this way that I could prove something to an unbelieving world. And when Jesus walked past that young man, he spit his DNA on the ground. And with his saliva, he just smudged the grit and the grime. I know it's it. You feel it too, don't you? Hallelujah! I'm I'm gonna close. Well, you're thinking I'm lying about that already, but he left his DNA. Who did that to you? I don't know. What did he do? Well, he left his DNA on my eyes, and forensic evidence will prove that Jesus could be located at the scene of the cr- I mean, the scene of the miracle. And he says, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. But the old boy said, one thing I know, once once I was blind. Touch him, I pray, with your DNA. Touch him with your DNA. Touch him with the DNA of the Holy Ghost. I know this didn't go anywhere a moment ago, but I'm going to try it one more time. The reason you stand to your feet is because his DNA is all over you. The reason you leap for joy, the reason you talk with tongues, he left his DNA on you. Up here, when I ask them a question, they just look at me. I've asked them once, What time is it? And Brother Ford finally grunted, That's right. If y'all want to, we'll just stay to three o'clock and have one service today. No, 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 no. Hallelujah. He and so I, I think that I can communicate better if you're comfortable sitting down. She would spent all of her money on the general practitioners. They sent her to specialists. If there was a such thing as a Mayo's, She had been there. If there was a such thing as an Oxnus, she had been there. If there was a such thing as a MD Anderson, she had been there. If there was a such thing as a Vanderbilt, been there. Such thing as a Durham, North Carolina Duke University. If there was a such thing as a Singing River Hospital. And she spent all of her money trying to get better. And she got worse. Word began to circulate about this unusual evangelist that they said come out of the upper regions of northern Judea, the wicked Roman city of corruption called Nazareth. And rumor has it that he was invited to a wedding at Cana And when he arrived, he was the guest. But before the wedding feast was over, he was the host. Rumor had it that uh, he was trapped in a storm-tossed little boat, and he just spoke to the invisible wind. And the tempestuous waves, finally it was said, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. And she was broke. She was bankrupt. Her health was failing. She was socially unclean. She was ceremoniously unclean. She was religiously unclean. Now, I've read after the scholars and I've sat at the feet of a lot that taught me that she may have had an ovarian type of a cancer, slow in progression, but definite in its conclusion. No treatments, no, 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 no. And she spent everything that she had, and in her weakest, darkest chapter, haleboko, koko, koko, In her weakest and darkest chapter. (laughs) If I can but touch. Talking about old songs. (laughs) And she made up in her mind. Hallelujah. God, God, God. God. She said, if I can only touch, his hem. And lo and behold, when that little fingernail scraped the hem of him. For rings that violet steps up and found on that lun- one little dirty little fingernail (laughs) was some DNA, just a thread, but when that was put under forensic examination, Jesus can be placed at the point of the crime, of the miracle. I hope you folks don't think that I'm working this hard today to improve my health. There's no thing like yeah. There's There's no saliva I will not say the things I used to say. I will not dress the way I used to dress. I will not conduct my life the way I used to conduct my life because biblical forensic evidence has proved that his DNA is upon me. I've come to make another announcement to the seven-headed beast To the great red dragon, are you listening to me? I've come to make an announcement to the beast that comes up out of the earth and to the image of the beast. You may growl like a lion. You may camouflage yourself like a leopard. You may swat us like a bear. But we've been washed in the DNA of the Holy Ghost and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation thirteen and eight, in the heart and the core of the darkest chapter, eight words: <laughs> a lamb slain. The word "slain" means that they butchered him, as you would flay and fillet meat. The word "slain" means they violently ripped his flesh. I conclude with my comments. The death of Jesus Christ cannot be ruled accidental. The death of Jesus Christ was not manslaughter. The death of Jesus Christ was not justifiable homicide. Jesus Christ was not killed in self-defense. He was not executed, thank you very much. He was murdered. His death was not by a drive-by shooting like a bunch of mafia gangsters would mow him down. His death was not because of road rage. His killing was plotted. His killing was preplanned. His killing was promoted. His killing was premeditated. Jesus Christ was the very first victim of a hate crime. He was a victim of assault and battery. Why don't you just kill him and get it over with? They wanted to hurt him. They wanted to injure him. They wanted him to feel every shocking sensation of pain. They gorged his brow With seven inch briars. They slapped his face with fat palms. They smacked his cheeks with clenched fists. They pulled his hair and they punctured his palms. They pierced his hand. They stabbed his side. They nailed his feet. This was not accidental. This was not reckless. This was not negligent. This was premeditated. They wanted to slay him. But the more slaying they did, the more DNA he spread, the more viciously butchering him, the more power in the blood. That had done better to have suffocated him and not let him bleed. You didn't hear that. That had done better to have choked him by asphyxiation and not let him bleed. But once he started bleeding, look out, devil. Once he started bleeding, look out, alcoholic. Once he started bleeding, look out, drug addict. Once he started bleeding, And I promise this is it. So they mobbed around his cross. You know, I appreciate your intensity helping me preach, son. I remember you from my past visits. And I whispered to the pastor that you're the converted, denominational preacher. You feel that Holy Ghost? You ever felt Odom's anointing? Come up here. You're going to feel the old preacher's anointing today. You believe in Calvary? Yes, sir. You believe Jesus Christ shed his blood? Yes, sir. You believe it was accidental? You believe it was justifiable? You believe it was negligible homicide? No, no, none of that is correct. They deliberately let his blood spew. Stay with me, son. Before they were finished, blood like rivers ran down his cheeks from his eyes. Before they were finished, blood spewed and sputtered and spit from his ears. Before they were finished, blood ran from both nostrils. Before they were finished, blood ran from his mouth. They had already put the cat of nine tails from his shoulders on his flanks down to his heel, and don't let that little term confuse you. A Roman whip, the cat of nine tails, was one stock of a whip, but when you got beyond three feet, that one whip spread out to nine whips, and those cats of nine tails was entwined with metal and sharp stone that would even hurt the crucified, and so one time and two times and three times and three Four times and five times and a dozen times and two dozen times and 36 times and 37 and 38. And the reason they stopped at 39 in case they miscounted. But you do the multiplication of 39 cats of nine tails. Nine times 39. 351 lacerations on his body. And you think this was accidental. And you want to come to church at Bendel and have your pride. And want us to think that your brother and sister somebody and we want to strut our stuff and I'm preaching to you now I have nothing to glory of except in the cross I have nothing to boast of except in the cross and to add insult to injury first it was the mob If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. He could have. And here comes the high priest and the scribes. If thou be the King of Israel, come down from the cross. And to those challenges, he answered, nary word. Somewhere I can hear the whispers of the glory world come down from that cross. Somehow I can hear the whispers of the heavenly land come down from the cross. Just wait till Sunday, and I'm going to get out of the grave. He could have come off of that cross. I'm, I'm wore out. <laughs> okay, I'll be fine tonight. Father, let this man feel this old preacher's spirit of anointing. Let this dear man feel the presence of God that's in my life. Don't ever let him doubt his conversion never let him doubt what you've done for him. In the name pray what In the midst of your darkest chapter, you've got a cross to go to. In the midst of your saddest hour, you got a lamb slain from the foundation of the world to go to. In the midst of your greatest trial and temptation, there's a cross. There's a cross. There's a cross. I wonder who will be first. Don't wait. Who will be first to run down this aisle and throw yourself near the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? There's room at the cross for you. more room at the cross without the Holy Ghost all you've got to look forward to is a seven headed beast a beast out of the earth a great red dragon but if the DNA of Jesus Christ is in your life on your soul I'm calling Pastor Moore to come out here to the front. I want the men together quickly. Don't be, have to be asked twice, men. I want the men together quickly, and I want every man to find a way to put a hand on the preacher, Pastor. Praise God. Sister Moore, would you stand on the women's side right there? Come on, girls. Don't have to be asked twice. Find a way to touch Sister Moore. In times like these, we've got to pray for our leader. Brother Moore, let this church give you strength today. Sister Moore, let this church give you strength today.
0: Please don't underestimate what took place in this place this morning. The power and the presence of the Lord and the hand of God is working. Everybody here can leave here with some DNA of Jesus Christ. And when you and I believe it as though that he was here, just like he was with that blind man and touching and reaching out, he's here and he's touching and he's mending and working. But here's the key. I've got to come off of my own crosses. Amen. Come to his. I've got to get off all that. My opinions and ideas and feelings, all of I've got to get all of that. I've got to come to his. My, have we heard the word today and the Lord's been with us today the voice of God the touch of the Holy Ghost amen man's been with us here today I want to be different I believe in that revival I believe of the revival in my soul I believe that And a God's revival not a man's revival a God revival. I'm believing it. Love you this morning. Appreciate you. Covered your prayers. And let's pray for Brother Odom. He he really pushed himself this morning, no doubt. He'll be ready this evening, though. We'll let him He'll sleep all afternoon if it takes it. Amen. He brings his own lunch, so he won't have no fellowship. He'll go in, But let's pray. God, to give him good rest this evening. Come back and be with us tonight. And... Uh, young people, young boys, young ladies, I'm telling you again, don't take this lightly. The Lord tears you'll be where I'm at in just a few days. And you'll look back and say, you'll be, there'll be some regrets there if you're not careful. That you didn't take the opportunity that was available. And that's for all of us. But how much more so for some of our younger ones. I'm telling you, we're not going to have these opportunities too many more times. We better take heed to them. better get a hold of them. Love you. Appreciate you. Thanks to all the guests. Appreciate you coming, being in this service with us today. Come back tonight if any way possible. I'm telling you, you'll enjoy it. Uh, there's only one Bishop Floyd Odom. Amen. And uh, he loves his truth, this gospel. And um, he'll bless us. God will bless us us through him if we'll let him love you appreciate you god bless you